Thank you for listening to the Stonehouse Sermon Series, A Disciple's Songbook. This series focuses on the Psalms of Ascent, songs that God's people would sing on their journey up to Jerusalem. Okay, uh, we've been walking through a series called the Psalms of Ascent, in which um, we basically look at Psalms 120 through 134, and these are basically psalms that more than likely were sung by God's people as they were pilgriming to Jerusalem for festivals. And so we've seen uh, honesty, we've seen rawness, we've seen struggle, we've seen wrestling over the last eight weeks or so. And uh, this week we come to Psalm 129, which is opens with affliction. And we see something very profound in that, uh, particularly in light of, of, of what Derek is walking through and what the rest of us often walk through, right? Life is not a cakewalk. It is filled with sorrow. It is filled with struggle. It is filled with difficulty. And this psalm speaks to that. And it basically outlines, in a way, how we persevere, how we walk through that. What does it look like to go through life as someone that is suffering and that is afflicted? And ultimately, it points to a unique hope that only the Christian has, and it grants us the ability to persevere in the midst of uh, difficult situations like this. So uh, the first thing we see, let me, let me actually just read this psalm here, and then we'll, we'll go through it briefly. Starting in verse 1, it says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetop which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So the first thing we notice in this psalm, which is massive and huge and should be given its proper weight, is that God's people are at times afflicted and maybe even quite often afflicted. Uh, we can't know for sure but it, it appears as though this psalmist is probably referring to the Exodus when God's people were afflicted and oppressed in slavery and God delivered them from that. But I think oftentimes Christians, non-Christians alike uh, approach 
suffering uh, with, with perhaps a stoicism, uh, saying that, you know, this is, this is not really, I'll just kind of bottle it up and go along my way. Uh, but we need to understand that the Bible does not do that at all. The Bible does not treat suffering in that vein. All over Scripture you see suffering as a reality in the life of the Christian, and it includes a lot of wrestling. It includes a lot of struggle. It includes a lot of hardship. So may it be a comfort to us that the psalmist here is afflicted, and unique to Christians, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we say, I know God, I believe in Jesus, therefore I will be exempt from the sufferings of the rest of the world. It's not true at all. We don't see that in Scripture. Jesus himself, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, right? And it was filled with suffering. So may we, too, not expect to be exempt from this. Um... There are two main ways that, that afflictions come to us in life. One is we make decisions that have consequences, right? Um, so if, if you're somebody who sells drugs or something, you, you may land in prison. And, and sure, I would consider prison an affliction uh, that came as a result of a decision you made, right? Action on, on your part. Um, God designed the world in such a way that actions would have consequences. Uh, but there's, there's another way, um, and it's much more mysterious, it's much more difficult to understand, uh, and that's basically that, that there are sufferings, there are hardships, there are afflictions because we live in a fallen world, right? God created the world and everything in it, and uh, there was harmony there between human beings and God, and then humans decided to kind of go their own way, to be their own lords, to, to be like God, to grasp after that which was God's alone as ruler and creator and lord and maker. And as a result of that, everything has now gone awry. So uh, you might consider a clock. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty complicated mechanism, right? The clock works, it ticks, and you pull out one little pin and the whole thing goes awry, right? So not only were human beings' relationships with God fractured and broken as a result of the fall, but all of creation, really. And so now we have things like hurricanes and uh, relational uh, dissension and strife, and we don't get along, and things don't operate the way that they were intended to. So we struggle, and this is the mysterious affliction that we have to deal with. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have a problem in which we don't really see justice in its fullness, this side of eternity, right? So, so we can understand the person who breaks the law and goes to prison. In many ways, that's justice, right? But then we see things like God's people being oppressed for no other reason than they were prosperous, right? If you read the beginning of Exodus, it is not as though... Israel was being foolish and disobedient and idiotic, and then all of a sudden they were thrown into slavery. No, the only thing that happened is Egypt got a new king, and Israel was growing too much. They were too prosperous, and so the king said, enslave these people. That's unjust, right? And we wrestle with that. We wrestle with this injustice. Uh, it's hard to walk through. 
and this psalmist is experiencing that. He doesn't diminish the affliction that he's experienced. He says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And then he proclaims to, to God's people, to Israel, say, repeat it with me. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. But there is a, a massive but in this text. And it is true for all of us. And it says, verse 2b, Yet they have not prevailed against me. See, the psalmist takes something, a scenario that is overwhelming, and, and gives it its proper weight, right? The psalmist does not diminish uh, the extent to which they are suffering, the heaviness, the hardship. It, the psalmist looks at that and struggles through it and wrestles with it, but does it in context, right? The psalmist looks at the whole narrative. And that is, the psalmist knows something that, that, that we should know as well. Ultimately, the afflictors will not prevail against me. And then we see in verse 4, saying the same thing. Basically, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The psalmist knows that their affliction is temporary. The psalmist knows that the affliction is there, but it is working in greater glory. It is pointing beyond itself to a future reality in which affliction will be no more. And that is the same truth that we have to walk through, and it is how we persevere as God's people. We're not left forever lingering in the tension of sorrow, but we know that there is a deliverance coming and that this current affliction is working in ultimate good for us. And in that reality, we have a hope that is untouchable, that enables us to persevere. Psalm 129 ultimately points us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate afflicted one, the Son of God who came into the world and took on flesh, who is the only one who should be exempt from every form of suffering, but he chose to enter affliction so that you and I could have the promise of being delivered for it, from it and look forward to a future reality in which we don't, no longer have affliction. So I'd like to read a couple passages of Scripture here that point to this reality and that inform us how we are able to live because of the truth that God has given us and because of what God has done. Um, if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. We may or may not have that on the screen. This all came together kind of last minute. But this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, describing his experience of the Christian life. And he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, Paul knows that though his affliction is immediately in front of him and it is pressing on him and he is 
in a metaphorical vice of sorts. He knows that there is a greater reality, that there is something more, that that is working in good, that he has a hope beyond this life. Because though afflictions will come our way, they will discourage us, they will fill us with sorrow, they will not destroy us, though. God is our protector, and he is sovereign, and he controls every detail in your life. I'd like to read also Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 34. It says this, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See, future uh, glory, if you will, does something for our present reality. And so the psalmist is able to proclaim, yet they have not prevailed against me. And the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked because Jesus Christ entered into the world and took our affliction upon himself. So we look back to that moment in history and we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God on a cross, hanging in our place, taking affliction upon himself to ultimately free us from it. And then we look at our present reality and we know that God is a present help. And that in our affliction, we can cry out to him, and he hears us, and he responds, and he comforts us. And then additionally, we look to, to Hebrews 10, which says we have future hope. We have a landing that is free from affliction, that is free from sorrow, and that is filled with unceasing joy. That does something in your life. It enables you to persevere. So, let me close with a prayer. Uh, We have communion back there on that table. That represents what Jesus did for us, both in the past, in in living a perfect life that, that we could never live, and dying a death that we should have died, spilling his blood, which cleanses us from all sin. It also points us to a future reality. That when, when, when God comes back to consummate all things, to, to recreate all things, so to speak, to restore them, there will be a supper. There will be a feast that is spoken of. This points forward to that as well, in which we will be free from the sorrows of this world. So we're going to play three more songs. At any point in time, you're free to go back there and take communion. There's also an offering box back there if you feel so inclined to worship through giving. We encourage you to do that. Let me pray. We'll do uh, three songs. Lord, again, we proclaim you are worthy, and we are not. And we join the psalmist here in saying, greatly we've been afflicted uh, because life's hard. Uh, It really is. Um, But Lord, we don't end there. We don't stop there. We say there is uh, life beyond this life. There is help 
in these moments, and there is future hope that is unshakable, um, as Peter calls it, imperishable. It is a guarantee. It is not um, wishful thinking. We know that because you have been faithful through thousands of years of redemptive history to do what you said that you would do. And Lord, we anchor our lives on the fact that you will do what you have promised to do in making all things new, including us. So we ask for help in our afflictions. God, we ask for the ability to zoom out a little bit and uh, cry out a lot. And we ask that your spirit would be with us, reminding us of who you are.